Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. On today's show, we explore what it feels like to be part of a small minority in a big city. Specifically, what it's like to be part of Tucson's black community, which makes up about 5% of the city's population according to the census. It's common for black people in Tucson to go days or weeks without seeing someone else who looks like them or shares their experience. In the coming months, Arizona Public Media will be sharing stories about the experience and impact of Tucson's black community, revealing things you didn't know about Tucson's invisible 5%. Arizona Public Media reporter Candace Manriquez-Wren joins us now as we get this conversation started. Candace, welcome to the show. Thank you. You sat down with four black women who are leaders in their industries and in their communities and talked about what it's like to be black in a town with so few black people. Why did you decide to have this conversation? Well, like you said, black people make up a small percentage of Tucsonans. And as a black person, it can feel really lonely unless you're making a concerted effort to find other black people. So as you can imagine, a person might be the only black person in their position, their department, or even their company. Who'd you speak with? I spoke with Cherie Meeks. She's the director for the first year experience in the Honors College at the University of Arizona. I also spoke with Dara Norman. She's an astronomer and deputy associate director at the National Optical Astronomy Observatory. Tanisha Phillips is the managing librarian at the Sarita Branch Library. And Barbia Williams is the founder and director of the Barbia Williams Performing Company and is also faculty for the School of Dance at the U of A. You're all very successful in what you do. And I have to imagine that you are, if not the only person who does your job, you are one of the only people who does what you do. Um, How does that feel? How does that affect you on a day-to-day basis? Or does it affect you? How about you, Tanisha? So, you know, I'm in a field that is predominantly white predominantly white female. Um, So currently, uh, I work for the Pima County Public Library, and there's two black librarians of, I don't know how many, a lot. Uh, We have hundreds of employees. Um, Many of uh, those are librarians, meaning having advanced degrees. And so um, you kind of look around the table and you're like, what's what's going on? And you you feel that pressure to be the one, right? Um, you want to be successful. You want to represent your community well. You want to be well-spoken. You want to check, you know, like I always feel like I have to say what I'm going to say in my head multiple times. Um, it's There's a lot of extra work. There's a lot of extra emotional labor because I, I feel the pressure of, of, of being one of two and, and you don't want to make others look bad. And so um, as much as I love the job, sometimes it can be really exhausting to to feel really alone at times. So. Anybody else share that experience? Dara, you, as a, as a scientist, I mean, black people in general make up a very small percentage of hard sciences. I would imagine that astronomy is no exception. Astronomy is no exception, although we're getting to be a little bit better than things like physics. And, but, um, yeah, the, the big thing for me is, is also not, you know, coming into a situation um, having a feeling like you're being questioned for how much you know or how much you can contribute to um, to your science, to your field. And also that added pressure of both being a woman and being a woman of color uh, in the field. There are some some sort of standard things. I mean, astronomy is also as a as a hard science is has very few um, women as well. 
Uh, and so having the, the added pressure of being both a woman and a woman of color is really really puts the pressure on you, like you said, to represent, but also to to worry about what others are thinking of you and your science and, and how you're contributing. And then feeling sometimes like you're not sure that they really respect or appreciate what you're doing. And, um, and that's really difficult when you're trying to actually get work done. Barbia, it would seem that you would not necessarily face these issues as a person who has carved out their own place in Tucson as a person teaching African and African diasporic dance. Um, do you feel the, these same pressures, even though you may be surrounded, you've surrounded yourself with black people? Well, I definitely feel, um, because first of all, I'm, I'm a part of a premier African-centered performing company in the state of Arizona. And uh, even though there was um, the Black Theater Company, who's still in existence in Phoenix, but and I also worked for the second Black Theater Company, which was the Ododo Theater. I was their third artistic director. But I also came here, um, you know, just a woman of conscience and a woman that's consistently wanted to raise my consciousness about uh, our blackness and our Africanness, and, and seeing myself as a woman of African descent here in America. Um, you know, coming into Tucson was a real button of the head uh, with a lot of people, and still is in a lot of ways. Um, when you feel um, really proud, and you know, you have a lot of and, and continuously research and reread and expose yourself to your culture and other people that have not and maybe aren't concerned about it. And again, you know, we as I think black people, we we're faced with that, not only trying to communicate within amongst ourselves, but we have our jobs where we're, we're who 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 are we? in other situations and how do we serve other people. It's been really a challenge and it's it's a consistent challenge here in Tucson when you really would like to see uh, ownership in our community, when you would like to see, um, you know, cultural competency and, and, and just I feel good about myself as, as a black person. And I don't have to look at other people to gain acceptance. I accept myself. See, that's been my problem. I like me. I love me. I've always felt really good about me. And I don't I didn't have to, you know, my parents raised me like that, you know, loving, you know, not only myself, but my community and the global world. So Barbia talked about this sense of raised consciousness. And that leads me to ask you, as mothers, do you do anything special to instill a sense of for lack of a better word, black pride, culture, sense of self-love. And do you think that that's necessary? How about you, Sheree? Absolutely necessary. Um, I grew up in Iowa. I grew up in a place where most people didn't look like me, but because I had family, um, I had a community there, um, for me, it just it came naturally. It may not have been through the school system teaching me about these things, but I always had a passion to learn more than what was provided for me at school. And so now I have a six year old and I am in Arizona and the landscape is very different um, from what I'm used to. And I believe it is is my responsibility to teach my child 
about her heritage, to make sure that she's exposed to people who look like her. Um, and I will say that my daughter um, has been a dancer with the Barbia Williams Performing oh, Company. Um, and that was important to me. Um, and and Miss Barbia is an amazing instructor. Um, she has almost that auntie or that second mother approach to discipline, but also teaching our children um, something that is important, something that will they can carry along the way. And so um, that has been a blessing for our family to to get to know Miss Barbia and to be a part of that and expose my daughter to that. Um, but as you were asking the question, I was thinking about the very book that I read um, with my daughter last night called Don't Touch My Hair. Oh, I love that um, book. It's so cute. <laughs> and um, to me, that's one of the things that I can have a real conversation with a six-year-old about her hair um, because everyone, not everyone, she is the only person that looks like her in her class. I, there may be two others and, you know, the rest of the first grade, um, three others maybe. And um, her hair is something that to me is very special. And I want her to have pride in that. And she sees that I change mine and I, it may be a different color, different texture, different things going on. And I want her to know that that's normal and that's okay. Um, and so I have taught her quite a bit about um what is her space, what that means. Her hair is different, but that doesn't mean that she um, should allow um, anyone to touch her and to be in her space if she's uncomfortable. And we talked about the significance of that and whether or not she completely understand understands it, you know, we'll figure that out in the future. But um, I will just say that she is very excited about brown people. All right. <laughs> All right. What about you, Tanisha? Um, yeah, it, I, lo I love the book, Don't Touch My Hair. Um, we just got it in our library system a few weeks ago, and it came to my branch. And, of course, anytime a book like that, Princess Hair, um, Happy to Be Nappy, like when those books come to my branch, I'm especially, like, exceptionally happy and really, like, want to get my hands on them and put them on display because I know that the black population in Saudita is growing. And, and I remember how it felt to not see my face anywhere where I live. So I'm from the south side of Tucson. There's not a lot of black folks living on the, black, uh, the south side of Tucson, especially when I was growing up. And so um, kind of one of the first experiences I had with what I would call blackness was Barbea came to teach our black student union at my high school a dance. And I was just overwhelmed because I was like, I don't know any like she's talking about these things. And, she, you know, she was talking about consciousness. And at that age, I wasn't conscious because I was not learning about that in school. And so I'm raising a, a daughter who. Um, is half black, half white, and so that has its own challenges. But what was really important to me was that I sought out materials, books, um, dolls, when she wanted to play with a doll, movies, where um, what she saw at home and what she saw in her family was reflected on the screen. And so uh, it, it's an interesting experience living in Tucson and raising a black child. I remember she was three years old. We were in the Safeway. She saw another black woman with her cart in the like top of her lungs screamed, Mommy, she's brown like you. And I was like... <laughs> but that's the reality right it's just like the nod when we see each other we have to you know we're like it's those moments you want to acknowledge each other because sometimes they are so rare and so it is about talking about boundaries it is saying you know our experiences are very different at times they're similar than other women but they're also different and for those reasons and for me you know she's getting ready to graduate high school and you know kind of start college but giving her the space to to ask questions and to be honest about my experiences it's super great to be a black woman. It's super crappy sometimes too. And, and she needs to know that. And so, um, 
yeah, it's it's been it's been one of the great challenges of my life, but I'm so blessed to to be a mom. And so, um, yeah, as our our native Tucsonan, I'm interested in how would you say your growing up in Tucson is different than your daughter's growing up in Tucson? Uh, I think there's more there's more black people now, it feels like. Right. Even though you feel like you wander around the city and don't see anyone for days. But really, the black population is growing. Um, I um, was one of four black students in my school. All of us kind of went to elementary, middle school, high school together. Um, my daughter's um, scenery, her what she sees at school is much different now than, than it was. Um, I also think there's a lot more work that the black community is doing in making itself more visible. So um, that that has changed over the years. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not old, but I'm not young either. Right. Um, so there has there has been some some change that's happened. Really good change. And there's, you know, things that um, she has experienced as, as a young child, uh, the first black president. Right. That was I remember that night sitting in front of the TV and saying to her, this is so important. Please pay attention. And as she's gotten older, she's now understanding why that moment was so important and why, like, you know, I'm sitting there sobbing, like, I never thought that was going to happen. Right. But she didn't get it at the time. But now she looks back on it and we talk about it. And she's like, I get it, mom. I get it now. As we wrap up, I would like to know, what can Tucson do better to attract and retain Black residents? That's a big question. There's there 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 are a lot of things going. I just went out the other night, and I don't really go out. And if I was a young person, I would have probably not wanted to stay here after going out. I mean, as an elder in our community, I did not. <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing here? You know what I'm saying? Of course, I was with young people. And you, you said if you were a young person, you wouldn't want to stay here? I wouldn't want to stay Why here. Why not? Because it just doesn't feel, um, it doesn't feel like it's, it's, it's a, a jointed community. It just feels really, um, uh, one, of, one of the organizations that I have um, started participating in that has helped me a lot is the uh, I Am A Cat, the uh, Interdenominational Ministerial Alliance's community action team. And I'm a part of the community action team. And they have uh, various domains that they work in. And um, so you get to see people. And, uh, you know, at least we meet, what, uh, 10, 10 um Ten times a year, you know, on a monthly basis, we have these town hall gatherings, and it allows me and us to um, to actually see what's going on, you know, from you know your political domain, you know, your educational domain, of course, art and cultural domain, and uh, health and wellness. But it, it it brings people together in a different way, so that we're we it it allows us to kind of have a sense of community, but. As a, as a young, when I first moved here, what really kept me here was that um, there wasn't, the art and culture wasn't here. It wasn't here. And my thought was, gosh, why? Why is it not here? Why? I mean, really ha coming from the south side of Chicago, um, you know, where the arts community, you know, the black arts community was really flourishing during that time um, and just really wanting to bring it. So um, that's just my, I, I'm not sure. If I was young, I, don't, I don't, still don't think I would stay here. So what I, what I hear you saying, <laughs> sorry, and maybe you. some of you can chime in, is that Tucson lacks a cohesive, structured, organized 
um, community for black people. So the other thing that I noticed when we first moved here, and we've been here 11 years now, was that um, I wouldn't have known where the black community was at all. We had a, a, a friend who actually knew Barbia, and, uh, and we were looking to get my daughter involved in some activities. And this woman suggested, oh, well, this is great woman, Barbia. She teaches dance. Um, and so we took my daughter down partly because I wanted her again to have the opportunity to know someone else black besides me in Tucson. And, um, and so uh, we found Barbia and honestly, it's through Barbia's group that I even knew anything about there being a black community here. So um, all any activities, any of the uh, sort of um, things like the like Juneteenth, right? Wait, I never celebrated Juneteenth, even in my community in Chicago. We didn't celebrate Juneteenth, but it was a big deal here. And um, and that was a really interesting thing to find out and to be able to share the idea, June, I knew what Juneteenth was, but to be able to share that with my daughter. Juneteenth and, is the celebration of when the, the final, final black, black slaves found out that they were free. That's right. Yes. And years um, after. Years after. Two and a half uh, years after. Mm -hmm. Emancipation mm -hmm. Proclamation. So, yeah. so, um, so to, to, sh to, I wouldn't have known about any of these activities uh, until I found sort of that first that first uh, sort of group of folks in in Tucson. And what I found out was not just that there were um, there was a black community in Tucson, but there was a Tucsonian black community. Right? <laughs> so there's people who are black right. and talk about going to the rodeo. Because right? <laughs> that's how they that's grew how up. Like, exactly. <laughs> and so um, and so for me, that's actually that's actually a really foreign concept. Right. That's not the right. culture I grew up in, no. but there is a black Tucson <laughs> culture here, and I wouldn't have known anything about it. But um, so, you know, somehow making the, that more visible, I guess, is uh, would make uh, make it more welcoming a place. The interesting thing is, is that both of you named ways that black people can make Tucson more welcoming. Do you think that that's the key? So that's what I was going to say. I, I, I think there is... You know, I guess I recognize the the problems with asking the people who need this help and bringing more people there. But I also believe that there's strength and there's power in that because I know, you know, you look at websites and I try to, you know, figure out what the population is. Is this a place I want to be in? It's almost like when you go. I remember this, um, you know, going to I went to the University of Iowa and you know how you bring in all the students of color on a certain day and you've made sure that those black fraternities and sororities are represented. You've made sure black student union is there. And it looks like there's a lot of people there. And then when you get there on that first day of class, you realize where did they all go? <laughs> it, 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 it almost feels like that, um, you know, that that could be a situation with trying to attract and retain people to Tucson. I think there is power, though, in us being taking on the responsibility because we know what we want. We know what we're looking for to ask, um, you know, a chamber of commerce or some other organization to create something for us. They're going to do perhaps what is done for everyone. And that just may not be what our needs are. So for us to say, here's what it would take for my cousin to move here or people I know who look like me have these interests to come here. This 
is what it takes. So yes, it is more work for us, but we we know our needs in a different and in a very special way than someone else who's just dropping it in for a one-time thing. We can maintain that. So I, you know, I've been a part of lots of organizations in the seven years that I've been here that have um, talked about ways to do this very thing. Some that have been successful, some have not. And I think that we just need to continue to do that, but not work separately. I believe there's lots of things happening separately. And so there's these tiny pockets doing things and doing great things, but they're not reaching the masses because, well, this organization can only reach this bubble. This organization is reaching this bubble. And sometimes they overlap and sometimes they don't. So we just need to do a better job of working together and perhaps putting egos aside and that kind of thing and and including multi-generational perspectives. I think that piece is so important. You know, if we just keep saying, let's get the elders out of the way, we need new, you know, that's great to to train people and teach people, but I think we need to be working collaboratively. And the one thing that I did not know, uh, full disclosure, I did not know everyone had a connection to Ms. Barbia. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that how funny, like that how small yeah. the yeah. community mm-hmm. is? And and I, the only person I knew at the table was Barbia. I mean, I met you, um, Candice, at another thing. But the fact that we're all connected in this way by one person, by something that obviously meant a lot to us mm-hmm. and was significant and was our connection to community, um, I that was that's really intriguing to me, right? That 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 happened and and it took one person to establish a business because she saw a need, felt the need, and also had a passion for it, and then that has had a ripple effect. I want to say thank you to all of you for joining me for this roundtable. I feel like it was eye-opening. I learned a lot, and I, you know, I can relate to a lot. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you all. That was Arizona Public Media's Candace Manriquez-Wren speaking with four Tucson women about what it's like to be part of the city's black community, a community which makes up 5% of the total population according to the U.S. Census. You can watch a video of their conversation on our Facebook page. In seeking to understand the experience of being black in Tucson, we talked with several students on the UA campus, including at African American Student Affairs, commonly referred to as ASA. Here's what they had to say. I'm a student here at the U of A, but I'm actually not from Arizona or from Tucson. I'm from West Palm Beach, Florida originally. Um, Coming to Tucson was definitely an experience, and it's been a place where I've been able to actually get in touch with um, my identity as an African-American. It's really been nice, uh, especially at the U of A, because we have like these cultural centers and these things, these spaces that are meant for us to have a place to kind of explore our our identity as well. I will say it is noticeable in Tucson that there is a smaller population of black people. Um, But one thing I will say is that the strength of the community here has been um, very strong. I would say my experience has been good and bad because I do experience some incidences where some especially white students on this PWI don't really know exactly how to communicate with other people of color or just in general make assumptions or stereotypes. I've definitely had to explain to people what the purpose of ASA is. I've also had to explain what the purpose of the black program is. People think that we're living in this isolation away from white people because we hate white people. There's so many things that people take out of context when they 
think about ASA. So I've had some good experiences by just being able to be around black people, and I've had some bad experiences because some people make terrible assumptions about what being black on this campus is. Uh, coming here was definitely yes. a culture shock for me. Um, I never, well, I can't say never. Well, when I go outside of my door, I'm, normally I'm never just the only black person I see. Um, Growing in Mississippi, I grew up, that was most of my family and friends that was like next door neighbors. And then when I moved to Michigan, um, the population in Detroit is like what, 80 to 90% black. So most of, and then the university that I went to was uh, 20%. So this was definitely uh, a different transition for me. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it has its ups and downs, um, but it's all like, like Shelby said, it's, it's a great place to have uh, center or resource that you can go to be unapologetically black at all times. So, so transitioning here uh, to the U of A, I was in the black program. So we lived in a hall full of black students and so it was easier for me to transition. So I knew that one, I could come here and be around peers that look like me, but also go back home. So I could go to my classes, deal with the, deal with the people that I have to, reality, and then come back home and feel safe and feel like I can just be myself. Um, I think that would have changed my experience dramatically because without the black program, I wouldn't have this job. Um, and I wouldn't have met the people that I have met and like being put in these, these situations. So I, I actually love it. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. It's a different atmosphere, different culture, different people. I've met a lot of nice people here. A lot of networking has been done here for me and with me. I can honestly say that me moving to Arizona and also Tucson in particular, it's, it's changed my life. It's given me a much more broader insight into things. And in terms of the way that I'm treated here, I feel that I receive a lot of love, honestly. You know, as African-American, I understand that there may be some racial tensions. This is a Republic state, Republican state and whatnot. However, me personally so far being here, I haven't gone through any racial issues or anything of that nature. And no one has come off to me disrespectful. You know, it's, it's a lot of people who, who like me out here. And I'm definitely feeling the energy and I'm anticipating it and it really means something to me. Those were the voices of Quajo Walker, Shelby Young, Jaborius Ball, Ray Ray Lambeth, and a young man who simply goes by Lamar. And that's the buzz for this week. We want to know what story ideas you have for the show. Share your story ideas with us on our website, azpm.org, or on our Facebook page. Remember, you can find all of our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. Ariana Brocious produced and edited the show. AZPM interns Sarah Workman and Emily Malden recorded our student perspectives. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Andrea Kelly is the news director. And our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.